Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to make sure that everyone signs up for our Road to the Midterm special, airing live tomorrow night, May 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern, featuring me, Trig V. Olson, and moderator Maya May, discussing what the rest of 2022 looks like. You can register at action.lincolnproject.us slash May Town Hall. That's action.lincolnproject.us slash May Town Hall. Tomorrow night, May 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern. I hope you'll join us. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined in studio by legendary Democratic strategist, senior advisor to The Lincoln Project, and host of That Trippy Show, Joe Trippy. Joe, always good to have you in. Good to be with you. So, Joe, today I want to talk about what's going on in the Pennsylvania primary elections, as well as continue along this theme that we've had on the show for the last few episodes about what Democrats need to know and what they need to do, especially to win in November. But first, I want to start with January 6th, where things are and what we can expect to happen. So January 6th, we all remember what happened, storming the Capitol, people injured, Mitt Romney escaping by the skin of his teeth, Mike Pence refusing to get in the limousine with the Secret Service because they didn't know what they were going to do to him. And now here we are. It's the middle of May 2022. Now, finally, the January 6th committee says they're about to start hearings. You know, there's been dribs and drabs of these leaks, whether or not it's the Mike Lee text messages, you know, recordings. You know, now there's some of these people were giving tours on January 5th, you know, and what we hear, right, is that some of the members of the committee don't really want to do this. They never want to do it. Some want to talk policy. Some are afraid if they do this to Republicans, Republicans will do it to them. So give us a sense from your perspective and your history, like what's the holdup? Because if it had been me, we'd have started the hearings on January 6th and we'd have done them every night, you know, until November. I think it's a lot of that. There isn't any big push, all of them wanting to do the same thing. But I think in the end, it may just be, and this is what I hope it is, is making sure we got our damn ducks in the row before we go public and start laying this stuff out. And so we're not going to do it until we know we've got them kind of thing. I still am hopeful that it's actually going to be something that is going to wake some people up. But, you know, we've been doing this for like a year and a half now, and there's still a whole bunch of people still are not woke up to the threat. How close we are to losing democracy, how close we came and that it's still ongoing. Hopefully the hearings, when they do happen, first of all, they're going to be closer to the election. So maybe that will energize people in a way to do something and to vote differently in November. I mean, it's vote different time. Right. It is vote different time. So Rick and I were meeting with a bunch of reporters earlier in the week, and one of them asked about whether or not voters care about this, whether or not we've seen January 6th as an issue in polling. I said, you know, you don't need to poll on this. See, polls follow. You follow a poll. 
this is leadership. Make yeah. the American people care about it, right? Make it an issue for a couple of reasons. One, it's the right thing to do vis-a-vis yeah. democracy, as you said. Two, we know that the Republicans will react badly to it because just like we saw with the white replacement theory and how that got mixed up with the tragedy in Buffalo, when called to the carpet, they don't know how to react, right? They're so used to being on offense that when they're on their heels, they start to spin. And that's where you want them because they don't spin towards normal. They spin further into right, crazy. Exactly. Yeah, we're seeing that. But, you know, I talked to Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns, wrote This Will Not Pass, this book on all this, and asked them, are you terrified about the way people may vote and not be awake to this in November? And they, too, were like, look, all the sort of normalcy bias out there that everything's going to be okay is the biggest threat we face right now. You're right. It is leadership. It is the Biden administration. It is this committee. And all of us, you know, make this the case that this is the choice in November, not some referendum on everything that you're angry about because of COVID. I mean, you could make an argument if you turned up the heat on January 6th and made it spectacle, which I know Democrats don't like and Republicans are masters of. Right. I mean, mm, they turn Benghazi into a three year effort to do nothing other than damage Hillary Clinton's chances of being president. And you could make an argument. It had a, it, it had worked. A, it worked. In fact, Kevin McCarthy admitted that that's why they were doing it. If you matched that relentlessly with what we saw President Biden say about ultra MAGA and Republicans wanting to raise taxes on half the country and cut Medicare and Social Security, if you did nothing but those two things between now and November, it would give Democrats the chance to be on offense, but also Republicans having to defend things that are indefensible or stupid or both. Yeah, but the problem with Democrats is that Democrats are horrible at repeating things. And we live in a communications world now where it's so fragmented, you have to repeat things over and over and over again. And I keep saying the repeated lie will defeat the unrepeated truth right. every time. And the bigger the lie, oftentimes, the more the people right. will believe and, it. And you know, one of the things I think is, look, it took billions of dollars and decades for the right to build the outrage machine of Fox and OAN and, and Newsmax and all the rest. And there's been no one building the anti-outrage machine. There's just no force that's doing that. I think it's something that's really important because First of all, the Democratic Party's lousy at it. And I'm with you. If we got into that cadence of repeating the tax stuff and all the rest that Scott's been putting out there in his agenda and basically kept bashing that over and over and repeating it and taking on January 6th and the threat, make right. it that choice, we win. The pro-democracy side wins. And for right now, there's only one party that's pro-democracy. It's the Democratic Party. Yeah. And I think I was mentioning to you earlier today, I'd also heard I'm in Washington, D.C. this week, gang, from a friend who said, you know, about the tax stuff. And I said, you should just run these things a thousand times a day. And he said, well, I talked to someone and they said, well, Mitch McConnell's disavowed it. So why would we run it again? Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> because Which is why the, I'm glad I live 2000 miles. The chairman from of the Senate campaign committee has put it out as their agenda. Right. And McConnell has said, we're not going to tell you what our agenda is until after the election. And they, just, you know, he's mad that Scott leaked the damn thing. Right. Uh, you know, didn't, didn't leak just it. leak it. He, he announced it. He announced it. And McConnell knows that's going to cost them if Democrats are smart enough. 
to get some communications discipline to repeat it over and over. And I think that, you know, that is one of the reasons some of the things we've been doing, the union are so important because those union members, when we get them the information and they repeat it out there and keep pushing it, it's not going to replicate what the right was able to do with billions of dollars and, and years, but we can do it together and hopefully teach the Democratic Party and pro-democracy coalition how to communicate and how to keep the hammer down on messaging and, and repeating it until it breaks through. So, you know, the I'll call it the Democrats, big D Democrats. So they've got MSNBC and they have an occasional radio show or podcast or something like that. Air America, they tried for a while, but it doesn't look like the folks didn't try on the left. It's just like it didn't seem to be much of a market. Is that just because the Rush Limbaugh's, they ping on the outrage and the emotion and Air America is sort of like, it's a much more intellectual thing? I think it's a cult thing. I mean, I think they knew how to keep feeding the machine right. and reinforcing it. So from their point of view, Donald Trump can do no wrong. He, no, they're never going to say he did something wrong on Fox or very rarely, right? MSNBC, you know, if they think Biden screwed up on Afghanistan, they're going to say it. It's a different thing. Right. It's not a cult thing where we're just in the tank no matter what. But defending democracy is not the same as defending Biden. And I think there needs to be, and I think you're starting to see it with us and others, but start to develop that muscle, the communications muscle to start fighting the outrage machine with a pro-democracy message and take on their crap and their lies. There is nothing that just stands democracy, 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 right. and a pox on both their houses or anybody's house that t takes on our democracy. We're going to defend it. That's where I think the union, Lincoln Project, right. I mean, all the different things that are going on out there are so important, whether we can grow big enough in time. But that's what's imperative is that because they had sort of billions of dollars and decades of doing this, we're trying to all scramble and do it in a vacuum, you know, within months and hopefully in time for 2024. Well, and I was thinking about this as far as you were talking about the decades and billions of dollars spent on the right. It became an orbit, really. It's not just the media. It was the donors. It was the activists. It was the Republican candidates willing to listen to them. And then, you know, you sort of make this big noxious mix and then you bring like a Dr. Frankenstein like Trump into the lab and he drops whatever that one drop of poison is to the mix and it goes kaboom. Well, also, it's like the other thing that happens there is the more powerful that gets, the more gravitational pull it pulls other people in. You don't want to be one of the people saying you guys are wrong about this. But on the, you know, Democratic side, there still is, yeah, some people went out, go out and say to fund the police, but there are a whole lot of voices that start to say, whoa, 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 that's not, including the president at the State of the Union saying right. we're for funding the police. But to your point, he said it one time, yep. and maybe he said it twice, maybe he said it on Peace Officer Memorial Day too. But again, if that's a State of the Union thing, you're just saying it over and over and over. Right. This is the outrage machine will say they want to defund, they want to defund, well, so they Corey Bush defund. goes out and says that they spend... Two right. weeks doing it. Two weeks that. doing it. We only say it once. Right. Because we told them it's, that's not what we're about. <laughs> Didn't you hear that's us? Right. At the same time, we're the same party who goes like, wait, the chairman of the Republican Senate campaign committee put out their agenda that calls for raising taxes on just about you know half the country. But wait, McConnell one time said that was not what we're about. 
and we stand down. That's crazy. I think it's that beltway bias too, right? Which is, okay, well, Mitch McConnell disavowed it, so we can't use it. Okay, we're afraid, you know, back to January 6th. Oh, well, we're afraid they're going to do it to us. Newsflash, they're going to do it to you. you. (laughs) No, no, but the other thing is this worry that if we call members of Congress to subpoena members of Congress, we open up the door that they'll do that to us. Same thing. Are you kidding me? In a nanosecond, they're going to do it. And they're not going to wait around for us to do it. That's not where this is going. This is them seizing as much authority and power as they can. It's the same thing with the filibuster. Are you kidding me? The day Mitch McConnell thinks it's in his interest to blow that thing up, he's going to do it. Right. And you know what he'll say, Joe? The Constitution doesn't mention the word filibuster. Filibuster, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, there's um, something in there. So let's talk about the gravitational pull you mentioned within the Republican Party. So let's go up to Pennsylvania. Let's start at the governor's race. So in the Republican primary there for governor, Donald Trump endorses a guy named Doug Mastriano, and Mastriano wins. He was at the Capitol on January 6th. His speech was something that you would have heard from a Viktor Orban or a Vladimir Putin or someone like that, replete with blaming and naming a lot of biblical verse, a lot of scripture. I'm going to appoint the secretary of state who's going to rip out all these voting machines. He's the first of this class, not the last. No, there's going to be many, many more of him. And he's already, like you said, he's saying, when I'm elected governor, I'm going to have the power to decertify every voting machine in the state with just the stroke of my pen. You think that this is a one-off? It's not a one-off. More and more of these gubernatorial candidates that they nominate will be out there basically going further to change the laws and become authoritarian in terms of how the votes are counted. And of course, if that happens, as Stalin and Trump famously said, it doesn't matter who votes, it matters who counts the votes. And that's literally what Mastriano is saying out loud now. And, you know, Carrie Lake, if she wins in Arizona, will be the same type. Anyone, frankly, of the Republicans in Wisconsin, anyone of the Republicans pretty much in Michigan, So, yeah, you see this where now like the Overton window has now moved like it's moved outside the house. Right. It's now floating out in space into some craziness. And this is the thing is the biggest mistake that any of us can make is Doug Mastriano's crazy. He's really the one we wanted to face. Ergo, he's going to lose and we're all good. No, I think we cannot underestimate what we all have to do this November. I mean, it's not just getting out our vote. It's we also have to reach those people that are reachable. I mean, people have said, hey, you know, swing vote doesn't count anymore. doesn't matter. That vote, that marginal vote that does move, that shift mm-hmm. of three, four, five, six votes may be the most important vote out there. And they've got to be both reminded of how far off the rails the Republican Party has gone because most of them are on the edge Republicans still starting to hang on because I've never voted for a Democrat in my right. life and I'm not going to start now. But they're movable. They do shift. But that group, I think, is going to be, you know, call it the Bannon line, but it's going to be very important. And at the same time, look, if this is a referendum on Biden or whatever the outrage is, which they're going to keep continuing, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or have done this for 40 years to know that's not going to be a good result, not just for the Democratic Party, but for democracy in our country. Right now, we've all got to put oars in the water and win in November and stop the Mastrianos and others that are going to appear through the rest of this primary season. Right. Look, if I was, you know, just to bring those two streams together, if I was, you know, someone on the January 6th committee, I would subpoena Doug Mastriano, bring him down, like maybe in July, maybe in August, whenever it was. 
Make him sit there. He'll be insane. He'll yeah, be crazy. Exactly. So let's stay in the Keystone State and move to the United States Senate. So in the Democratic race, John Fetterman won the nomination. Fetterman is the lieutenant governor. He sort of looks like a WWE star. He had a stroke right before primary day. He had a procedure, I think, on primary day. But, you know, I think has an oddly crossover appeal within what we call the T of Pennsylvania, sort of middle of the state up through York and Harrisburg and out to sort of Erie in the west. In Pennsylvania, you've got Pittsburgh in the west and Philadelphia in the east and Alabama in the middle. Yes, right? absolutely. So in that race, you've got a dead heat between Dr. Oz and Wall Street guy Dave McCormick. Now, I want to get to them in a second, but I want to talk about Kathy Barnett, the woman who right. came in third. She got 24% of the vote. But Joe, it didn't seem like anybody knew, A, who she was, or B, that she was going to get that kind of result until like a week before the election. And it says to me that there's a lot of communication going on that civilians just don't know about, you know, whether or not it's 4chan, 8chan, Facebook, but like 24% in a three-way race, five-way race, whatever it is, is a pretty good result for somebody who basically didn't run a campaign. I think the question is, to some extent, has MAGA grown beyond even Trump's control? In other words, where he's right. created this thing and he's for Oz, but there's somebody even more MAGA than Oz. And you look at that and that faction then gets like, what, over 50, 60% of the vote in Pennsylvania. How's that work in the general if either McCormick breaks through here and, and wins by 1,000 votes or Oz wins? I mean, do her people even think Oz is Trumpy enough? And this is one of those things, too, we've seen is our guy Trigby on our team has said that, you know, the only people these people hate more than Democrats is each other. And so you have Kathy for Truth, who's on a run, right? She's got momentum. And what happens? Trump calls Sean Hannity at Fox and says, you better knock the hell out of her. You better tell her she's not my candidate. She's not my candidate. So now Kathy for Truth is like, well, Donald Trump abandoned me and Fox News abandoned me. But these are my people. I've got the core of the core. I don't have to listen to any of them. Right. But I also think this is going to happen throughout. This is one of the reasons I'm still an optimist. I'm not saying a lot of this is going to happen because Democrats become great communicators here in the last five months. But I do think the infighting and division within the Republican Party, even within Trump factions, is something that, you know, get the popcorn and enjoy when they're doing it because it may end up getting us a, a Senate seat in Pennsylvania that's pro-democracy. Let's talk about Oz and McCormick. So they're within, I don't know, a thousand votes of each other whatever it is. There's about 10,000 mail-in votes left to count. I read a story that both campaigns are lawyering up. As I understand it, under Pennsylvania state law, a campaign that comes down to less than a 0.5% difference goes to a recount, which first I want to get to the irony, which is they all say that things are stolen, things are stolen, things are stolen. But when there's a close race, Joe, they still go back to the lawyers. But to get out of the ironic and into the real world we live in, who knows what's going to happen in some of these counties? You know, are people going to abide by the rules? Is there a county clerk who's all in for Trump? And he's like, I got to make sure that, you know, Oz is Trump's guy. Oz is my guy. Well, I mean, first of all, I think the reality is in 2020 that, you know, campaigns had somebody at that table or with eyes on it. And in Pennsylvania in particular, there were a lot of cameras on those tables. So I think in the end, this is going to be the real irony is that 
somebody's going to claim it got stolen when one more time, no, people did their jobs. I do think that there will absolutely be a recount by law. There's like 10,000 votes left. Then the problem will be, well, you already have Trump telling us to claim victory so they can't steal it. Well, if McCormick did somehow get through, it'd be they stole it again. When in fact, as we just talked about, there'll be citizens that were at those tables and with cameras and everything. So I just think it's another place where at this point, I think it's going to be a muddled process, but you could be in a situation where Oz gets this thing and McCormick steps back and endorses him. I mean, where it's not, he stole it from me because I'm not sure McCormick's quite that far gone. But Well, and you know, I mean, his wife is, you know, at Goldman Sachs, the week before the primary, she was on stage with longtime Obama friend and counselor Valerie Jarrett, right? Like she has a level of credibility herself that I think she wants to maintain as much as I think that she wants her husband to be a U.S. senator. Um, you're right, which is my guess is there were a lot of nights in whatever Airbnb Dave McCormick actually lives in in Pennsylvania because <laughs> um, he lives in yeah. Connecticut saying like, I can't believe I have to go out and do this shit. I can't believe I have to go yeah. talk to these people, right? This is a guy who's worth billions. Like, he got talked into it, and he's like, what the heck have I done? Right, yeah. What have I done here? And so I think if true to form, the last 10,000 ballots keep sort of going this close way, Oz wins, and McCormick actually does the normal thing. I don't think it works that way the other way. So let's make an assumption here that Dr. Oz wins. So now you've got Dr. Oz, reality doctor, carpetbagger, Trump and Dorsey, against John Fetterman, would-be WWE lieutenant governor. This is a very interesting dynamic. Like, neither party's establishment, if they exist, were like, holy shit, like, what do we even do now? Well, you know, I think this could just get down to one thing, authenticity. Forget about the ideological stuff. John Fetterman, love him or hate him, whatever party you're in, is authentic Pennsylvania he oozes that stuff. And Dr. Oz, I mean, come on. Everything about him is fake Pennsylvania. So that's why I think Fetterman actually, despite a lot of people in my party who thought, you know, Connor Lamb would be a better candidate, et cetera, I think Fetterman may well surprise everybody. I mean, certainly Dr. Oz is not some formidable front runner if he wins this thing. And I think Fetterman actually has that authenticity that may matter a lot in a state like Pennsylvania. So before I let you go, let me ask a question. You ran Doug Jones's successful 2017 special election in Alabama for U.S. Senate. You guys had to do it in a very red state against a very bad guy, and it was still very close. What advice would you give to candidates, the things that we've talked about? How hard is it for a lot of these candidates to run the race they need to run versus the pressure they're getting from a congressional committee or a senatorial oh. committee? Yeah, forget that. I mean, run the race you need to run and keep it local. I mean, keep it about your state and about your district. If you're in one of those kinds of places and you let it become sort of the national race, particularly if it's like defund the police or CRT, my advice is keep it local, keep it in the state, but understand that you've got to repeat the message over and over and over again and make it a choice, a local choice between Oz and Fetterman. I think if Fetterman does that, Fetterman wins. Let me get a little cynical here, though, because I did a race years ago for a moderate Republican. 
where we didn't get super PAC funding from the NRCC because right. we didn't use the media consultant they wanted. And the guy lost by like 500 votes. I guess my question is, yes, you got to run your own race, but is there a consultant class or the party or, you know, the chairman of some committee says like, no, you got to do this. That happens. Yeah. Don't do it. Doug Jones in 2017 said, no, no, hell no. Keep your money, keep your whatever. If you got to, right. if that's what I got to do, no, no way. And I think it was the smartest thing he, he ever did because there is that beltway mentality where, oh, don't talk about taxes. McConnell said, we're not doing that. That's crazy. And so I think the smartest thing that anybody can do is make it your race, not anybody else's. And I do think that there are a number of places, you know, Herschel Walker and Warnock, Fetterman and Oz. I mean, I think the interesting one will be J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan in Ohio, because if Tim Ryan can make it the choice that it should be, or is J.D. Vance able to put the sweater vest on and right. somehow act like he's not part of the Trump thing. So I think that one's going to be something we all need to keep our eye on. I think it's more uphill than some of the others, but I think Tim Ryan has a shot. All right. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for joining me today. Before we let you get out of here, where can everybody find you and that trippy show online? At Joe Trippy on Twitter is my handle. And then that trippy show, anywhere you find this podcast or any of your favorite podcasts, hope you'll all give it a listen. And we've had some great guests on recently. So absolutely. Thanks. Listen every week. It's absolutely worth the follow and the five stars. Everybody, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen and on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Anyway, Joe, I want to thank you for coming and everybody else. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 